Welcome to this episode of the webinar and podcast from the Centre for Christianity and Society. It's the third in our series, Conversations on Coronavirus. For more information about the Centre and to access our growing archive of articles, videos and podcast episodes, please visit our website, christianityinsociety.org. And you can also follow us on social media under the handle at Christ in Society. And so this series uh, which the details are on the website and in our social media feeds. Uh, it's ex exploring various aspects of how Christians are responding to the coronavirus crisis. We've got a variety of guests already in the episodes we've had and lined up to join us, talking about their experiences of life and faith during this global pandemic. And we hope that the content will be both thought-provoking but also practically relevant for you. My name is Paul Coulter. I'm one of the directors of the Centre. And in today's episode, I'm joined by two guests to hear about their experiences of tracking and treating the virus. Dr. Tim Shaw is a medic who's currently training in medical microbiology, and he's also a clinical research fellow at Queen's University in Belfast, where he's pursuing a PhD studying new treatment strategies for resistant lung infections. In March, he was pulled into the wards temporarily to, to full-time NHS work, uh, or rather in the hospitals, to help with the response to COVID-19. He's a member of Hollywood Baptist Church, and with his wife, Nicola, and their three children, uh, they live here in Belfast, and he serves in the church as an elder. Welcome, Tim. Great to see you. Also you with me you. is... Yeah, great, great. Uh, is Dave, Dr. David Glass. He's a senior lecturer in Ulster University, where he works in computer science and mathematics. His main areas of research are mathematical modeling and explanatory reasoning. David, no idea what that is. You can, you can tell us as, as you, you, you talk to us. But he does some work on the relationship between science and the belief in God as well. He attends Christian Fellowship Church in Belfast with his wife, Kathy, and their six children. So again, David, wonderful to have you with us. Great to be here. Thank you. Tim, uh, thinking about your work, could you tell us what is a medical microbiologist and what is their role in the response to COVID-19? Yes, so medical microbiologists, um, we are medically trained doctors who uh, have moved mostly into the lab. Uh, and so when we're, we, we help with our response to difficult infections. So when facing an infection like COVID-19, we try to help in three ways. Uh, we have a role in diagnosis where we coordinate and report on the right kinds of lab tests. And then we have a role in treatment where we advise doctors looking after people with difficult or resistant infections on the best way to manage their condition. And then we have a role in containing the infection, particularly in healthcare settings. So patients who are admitted to hospital with a contagious infection like COVID-19 need to be cared for in a place and in a way that reduces the risk of spreading that infection. So we advise on how to isolate patients and how to use the right kind of PPE and how to contain outbreaks if they happen. So PPE is personal, I know we hear these terms, as personal protective equipment, is that right? Exactly right, yes. Yeah, yeah. great, great. So you're right on the, on the front line in many ways, um, supporting other frontline workers. You're also doing research, Tim. Is, are, are you going to come up with a cure for this? Is that uh, <laughs> one part might your research play or other researchers in, in helping us with this disease? 
So my work then, I'm in the early stages of a, a new strategy using a form of adult stem cells for drug-resistant lung infections, particularly those caused by a family of bacteria called mycobacteria. Right. So my focus is more against difficult to treat bacteria rather than coronaviruses. Uh, but there is a team of researchers at Queen's who are testing the same cell therapy against COVID-19, right. particularly right. when it gets to the point of the, the, the life-threatening condition known as acute respiratory distress syndrome. And so we hope to hear from them in the next few months uh, whether the treatment can help recovery from the virus. Mm. Uh, so if you're interested, do keep an eye out on the Queen's web page for news on that. And other universities are available as well, Tim, but yeah, and, and are doing great research. But it's, it's just great to know there are folks who are working away at, at things that will really help. So thank you. Um, David, your, your uh, work is slightly different as far as I understand. It doesn't bring you into contact with the virus so directly. But during the pandemic, I suppose we've heard an awful lot about the importance of mathematical modeling of the disease and, you know, the, the curves and, and R, uh, not the R numbers. No, I, what's the infection number? I've forgotten now. Is it R? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that number that they keep talking about shows you how much I know. Um, but anyway, what people trying to decide on that basis what actions need to be taken. So could you tell us a bit about your work and how it might help the situation? Yeah, well, I, I hadn't done any work on infectious disease at, at all uh, before this. I, I had done some work on mathematical modeling of biological systems, though. And so I was familiar with some of the models, at least to some extent, but it was... Mm. A few weeks before Easter, I was just looking at some of the data on, on this that was, was coming out, especially from Italy. And I suppose to some extent, I, I thought, well, you know, just how serious is this? And are they exaggerating you, you mm. know, what, what might happen here? But as I sat down to look at the data, it really, it really worried me because mm. I, when you, you look at these models and you look at the data and see where this could go, it was really quite disturbing. So I, I thought, well, is there anything that I, I, I can do here? Can I contribute something? And there's obviously a lot of work, as you've mentioned, that has been going on. So really what I was thinking is, well, maybe there's some small contribution that you can make to this because there's so much that's unknown and so much to be investigated. So what, what I've been doing is just looking at a, a mathematical model where it, it does relate to this R0 number that you're talking about. Yeah. And it's got so much. I did get it right, just. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, so the basic idea and what I have been doing has been to try to, to look at the impact of these lockdowns, um, especially in some major European countries. Mm. So the, the idea being to try and, and look at an R0 number before and after the lockdown and to to fit these models to the data to get a handle on just how much of an effect they have had. So I've been working on that. And then once you can do that successfully, well, then the next stage would be to say, well, okay, so what happens if we turn this round now, if we start mm -hmm. to relax these lockdowns? And obviously that's a very big question now. So I can now use this model to try to at least investigate what the potential repercussions could be of, of relaxing the, the lockdowns to mm. various extents. And so this is obviously going to be a very important question over the next weeks and months. And uh, I really, I, I think what is very important here is that both in terms of the timing and the extent of the, the relaxations, we've got to get those right because mm. If we go too quickly or relax too much, you, you, there really is a serious danger, I think, of this mm. second peak, which 
could be bigger than the first one. Obviously, it's not. Um, I'm not asking you for a political comment, David, in any sense. The politicians, I guess, have to make the call. But from your perspective, what would you say to people listening and watching? I mean, they really need to keep sticking with the guidance that they're given and social distancing and so on. Is that fair to say? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I think it, when you when you look at the, the data relating to this and, and what could happen, there, there really is a danger that if we don't stick to that, uh, you know, even when the relaxations come in, the hope is that people stick to the social distancing. But of yeah. course, in practice, that's very, very difficult. So, yeah, I think it really is important that people do stick to these guidelines because yeah. there, there is a real danger of it, it getting worse again. Thanks, David. That's that's sobering, but also really helpful for us. You know, I've noticed, I think there is a sense in some places of people being a bit loose with the rules. You know, once they're, it's like you let the rain off and suddenly they go. So that that's a really helpful message. Tim, coming back to, to you, I mean, it really is, uh, for me anyway, wonderful to hear about the work you're doing and people like you, both treating patients and also in research to fight the disease. I'm just saying, as a Christian, I'm, I'm thinking, does it never trouble you to, to feel like you're fighting against nature? I mean, God, God's creation, is that a, a tension for you and your faith? Yes, yeah, so when we look at the natural world, things don't always fit into neat categories of things that are good and bad, and that includes viruses. Um, so there's data that suggests that viruses may be very ancient, appearing in genetic history before modern day humans and even helping to generate a lot of the uh, diversity in the life we see around us. And so some Christian scientists are suggesting we revisit the idea of what we think the world was like before we came on the scene. Mm. And so in navigating these quite difficult matters, I what I find helpful is um, the distinction made by theologians like Benno van den Toren between what Christians call doctrine and what they call theological theories. Mm. So by doctrine, we refer to the core truth claims of the church by which the Christian faith will stand or fall. Uh, for example, the doctrine of creation, that God is the maker and the owner of the universe and is intimately involved in its care. Or the doctrine of the fall, that having been made to love God, human beings have rejected him to rule themselves and become corrupt in their self-centeredness. Where theological theories are the framework of biblical interpretations and ideas that we use to understand the doctrines. Hmm. Christians who agree on the doctrine of creation may have different, different theological theories to understand how God made the universe. Or again, with the fall, there are a range of ideas on how and when humanity rebelled against God and whether that affected the physical world, including the emergence of disease-causing viruses. Hmm. So doctrines we'd hold to without compromise is the core truth claims, but theological theories we can hold to strongly, and they may even contain ideas that have persisted through much of church history. But we do make space to test and refine them with mm. a commitment to truth and to grace. And I suggest that we may uh, need to do this with how we understand the emergence of disease-causing viruses. Right. So... Uh... Again, it's a long time since I studied a little bit about this, but virus itself, I mean, I heard someone talking about it recently and they were adamant in the public sphere that a virus isn't alive. Um, you know, they're strange things, aren't they? They're a bit of RNA or DNA, this chemical that 
is the chemical of life and, and wrapped up in a protein shell in this case, as I understand it. But um, why on earth would there be something like that in, in the world if it's created by a good creator? I, I know you're touching on that, but what's your own sense of that? Or what would you say to someone who says, how could God exist and a good God if there's things like that around that are so harmful? Yes, yeah, so I don't mean it's a straightforward issue, and I may only be able to touch on one aspect that I find helpful in thinking through this, and that's the, having uh, the importance of a, a strong worldview that can hold together the idea of a good creator uh, with the bad things that we see and we experience in the natural world around us. Hmm. Um, so our worldview is that framework of ideas that we hold about life and the universe and everything, and it shapes the way that we understand and interact with the world. It gives us that big story to make sense of ourselves, why things are the way they are, where we've come from, mm. where we're going. And we all have a worldview, whether we realize it or not. And we use it to help us answer uh, a number of questions. And one of those is going to be about the source of our misery. What is wrong with the world and why do bad things like COVID-19 happen? And another question that our worldview helps us answer is over the remedy of our misery. So what can we do or should we do to fix our greatest problems? And can we do it by ourselves or do we need outside help? Now in our society, we will encounter many different answers to these questions about what's wrong with the world and how we should put it right. And for instance, some suggest our greatest problem is human poverty or, or ignorance and the solutions are equity and oh. education. Uh, and in the Christian worldview, we recognize these problems are real and these solutions will certainly help. But we say that there is more to it than that. Because the strength of a worldview lies not first in being able to spot problems and give solutions, but in how effectively it captures the picture of total reality. Mm. So when you're sick, you, you want a doctor who will examine and investigate you thoroughly to get to the root problem and not stop at treating the symptoms they find on the surface. Mm. So the first question our worldview helps us, uh, the first question our worldview has to deal with is over, over reality. What is the, the solid ground that I can stand on to, mm. uh, and rely on to build the rest of my ideas? So Christians contend that this anchoring point comes not from the world around us, the physical universe, and doesn't come from the world within us, our inner consciousness, but the ultimate reality is in the world beyond us, that there's the God who stands behind and outside the universe, who creates and sustains it and owns and rules it. And he's not left us to guess what he's like, mm. but has spoken into human history to reveal himself. Uh, Francis Schaeffer sums him up as the God who is there mm. and the God who is not silent. Mm. And he gives us reasons to believe that he's trustworthy. Uh, he's made a universe full of complexity and beauty and given us minds and hearts to be able to appreciate it. Mm. And he's given us a capacity for love and a sense of justice and yeah. successive revelations over human history about his character and his desire to share good things with us. Now, if such a God stands behind all of our reality, then that affects our understanding of the human problem and, in, uh, and the solution. So in the Christian worldview, the source of our misery is that fall that uh, we spoke mm. about earlier. Um, and the source of the solution then is also given to us by God and how he um, has an unfolding plan throughout human history of restoring us back to himself. Mm. That climaxes in the coming of his son, Jesus Christ.
So the, there's more to the Christian worldview than that. And the reasons that I find it persuasive are perhaps for another time, but yeah. I suggest that it can and does hold together a good creator as a well-made universe, but yeah. also reflects the estranged relationship between God and humanity and the natural world. I'd love to come back to some of those other reasons as well, but if I hear you right, Tim, really what you're saying to us is that ultimately the saviour here isn't going to be you or other scientists like you or medics like you, great work as you're doing, but it is ultimately going to be God through his son Jesus of the real root problem that we have. Yes. Um, great. D David, you, you've written about this whole question of the claims. There are people obviously today who claim make strong claims for atheism and say this whole talk that you know tim's talk about a god who is there and a god who speaks it's it's kind of out of date it's it's irrelevant to the modern world uh that evil and its existence should cause us to reject the existence of god does this experience that has been described as unprecedented does that not make you think maybe they were right all along yeah, well, this is a, a very important question, I, I think. And uh, of course, it's a, an age-old one as well in terms of the problem of, of suffering and, and why, why a good God would allow this. Uh, I, I, think, um, I think we need to, to think about this from different aspects as well. One is, uh, we, we, you know, we can think of this as just a purely intellectual question and how we might give a, a response to it. But we can also think of this as a, a sort of personal question because there are people, there are people who, are, who are suffering and for them it's, it's not just a matter of having an intellectual answer to this kind of question or people who are grieving or mourning. And uh, you, you know, I, I think one of the things that we need to do is to think about both aspects of, of that question. And I suppose I'm, I'm focusing more on the kind of intellectual response here. But one of the things that I would say is that from a Christian point of view, I think it brings both of those things together. That mm. um, both the intellectual side, but also how that relates to our lives as a whole and the questions of meaning and purpose, I think, come together. I think some of the things that, that Tim said is absolutely right uh, in terms of a, a, a worldview and, and trying to, to look at that broader picture. And so from a, a Christian perspective, I, I think one of the things that um, sometimes as, as Christians we, we, we do is to jump into give, giving detailed explanations as to exactly why God would allow COVID-19. And I, I think quite often those sorts of answers just raise more questions than they, they address, to be honest. And so the one way that I would look at this would be to, to say, well, I, I, if, if somebody wants to know exactly why God allowed it, um, I, I don't have an answer to that question. I, mm. I don't know. But does that mean there's no God? Does that mean that atheism is the, the better alternative? Well, not at all. I, and, and I think there are plenty of good reasons for belief in God, which I, mm. I won't go into now. But, but I think it, it certainly is possible that God kind of reasons for allowing things, for allowing suffering and evil, even if we can't fully understand what those are, because yeah. we, are, we are very limited creatures and our, our knowledge in all sorts of things, I mean, we've been talking about science, our, our knowledge of the science here is, is so limited. And, and so when it comes to God as well, we're limited in terms of knowing what God's plans and purposes yeah. would be. Um, at, at least fully. But of course, as Christians, we also believe that God has revealed something of that. 
to us. Mm. And this is where I think it becomes really important because, because what, what is God's purpose for us? See, I think when we ask this question, why would God allow suffering? The underlying assumption might be that if there's a good God, he, he would want us to have a, a happy, pain-free, enjoyable life. Mm. Actually, as a Christian, I think God has a far, far greater purpose for our existence than that. God's purpose for us is that in this life that we have here and now, that we can come to know him. We can come to know the very creator of the universe, the one mm. who is, is the source of everything good. And, and that is the purpose of our lives. And so it may well be that in a, in a world where, you know, we have everything we want and we have no pain and no suffering, that, that actually we ignore our, our creator. And yet mm. in a world like this, it may well be that, that more people come to find what this purpose is. Now, I don't mean that as an explanation for it. I don't, I'm not saying that therefore this is a good thing, not at mm. all, but it maybe gives us a hint about God's purposes. And furthermore, I think from a, a Christian point of view, one of the, the clear things in the whole Christian story is that God brings great good out of great evil. This is something mm. that God does, and it's what the whole biblical story is about. Um, when, we, when we look at, at God's working in the world, and especially in terms of his son, here we find a God who is not remote from us. Mm. So some people ask, well, where is God in all of this? Well, I think the, the Christian answer is to say, God is with us in this. God is not remote. He has come into our world and experienced the very worst mm -hmm. of, of suffering in this world. He's a God who, who's with us, a God who has these greater purposes for us, and a God who, who can bring great good out of great evil. And, and, of course, with the death of Jesus, this is exactly what Christianity mm -hmm. is saying. So I, I think here we have um, something that, that gives us a pointer, uh, at least in that direction, that we can have good reason to trust God, that God, God can work good even in this very difficult situation, and that he's with us. He, mm. He's with him working in the medical research. He's with you know, people working at the front line in the battle against this. And basically, I think the Christian story is God has a greater plan for us. God has, has a purpose for us. And, and what he wants more than anything else is that, that we come back to him. Um, you know, it's like we're his children and we've lost our way. And, and what God wants more than anything is, is, is that we as his children come back home. We come back to him. And, and I think at this time, you know, we have an opportunity to think about where our priorities lie, what the purpose is in our lives, and where ultimately hope oh. is to be found. In Christianity, I think there is hope, even in the midst of this difficult situation. When you ask the question, you you framed it in terms of atheism. Hmm. And so what, where does atheism sit with all of this? Well, in an atheistic world, some of these things happen and that's just the way it is. Where is there hope? I don't think atheism provides us with any hope in this hmm. difficult situation. So that would be a, at least a start to try to think through some of the issues. Thank you, David. Thank you. I think it's really important for us in this series, and you've really helped us with that too, David and, and Tim, to remember that this is not just about intellectual answers and questions, but about that lived experience. And next week's episode, we're going to be bringing in a couple of folks who will talk about experiences of loneliness and how they find help in that. 
uh, Alison Mark, who's experienced bereavement of her husband, and uh, Jeff Donaldson, who lived alone uh, in Zimbabwe for a time and learned some lessons there that I think will be helpful for folks. Obviously, you're both uh, not just the jobs that you do, but real people with families. And uh, this has been a, a stressful and a challenging time for all of us in different ways. What difference is, uh, I mean, I know both of you and I know that the work that you do and the good work that you've described is deeply motivated by your faith. Um, uh, and, and that's something that I, you've spoken about. But at a personal level, has your faith helped you through this time? Maybe just one sentence as we close, Tim. Can I say anything about that? Um, yes, I guess my, my main challenge has been uh, adapting to some new commitments that I have would have felt quite unprepared for, like the mm. step up and taking responsibility for the learning of my kids uh, sure. at home. Um, yeah. I've tried to take encouragement from uh, Ephesians 5.22, how Christ loves the church and gives himself up for her. Uh, and so trying to remember that, asking myself, do I see these, these tasks as, as inconvenience or a way to, for me and my children to become more the, the children yeah. God wants us to be? So that's, I guess, ties in with what David was saying. God's purpose for all for you in this then is to become a, a better husband, better father, better researcher, better doctor. And yeah, thank you for that, David. Anything from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, at, at one level, for for us as a family, um, you know, things have actually been been quite straightforward. It, it's kind of strange in that, in some respects, life has become very simple. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, whilst there's obviously we've been in, we've been very fortunate in that uh, things have gone smoothly, and it you, we are of course aware that for many people that's not the case. Mm. Um, but but for us, I mean, I suppose some of the children it has been a bit of a challenge, and especially the longer this goes on, yeah, and not seeing grandparents and other family members yeah. and so forth. But, but I think one of the things that has struck me about it all is just how, how quickly things can change. There's so many things that we take for granted in life, and in a very short space of time, all of that's gone. Everything changes. And yeah. uh, it, it really has got me to think, well, what, what really is life about? What really mm. are our priorities? And, and just a sort of gratitude for the basic necessities yeah. of life, yeah. which so often we, we, we don't even think about. Yeah. I can certainly echo that as well, I think, isn't it? It just makes you, maybe we're not all slowing down the way we should do and learning those lessons, but it's certainly a moment to reflect, isn't it, on the both the big questions and the appreciation of the small things. I want to thank both of you for, for joining me for this episode, Tim and David. I'm sure we'll have you back at some stage if we continue more of this after this series. But I want to thank you too for listening or watching uh, this episode of Conversations on Coronavirus from the Centre for Christianity in Society. Join us again next week when we'll be in conversation, as I've said, with Jeff Donaldson and Alison Mark about experiences of loneliness that might be helpful for us uh, as we continue to experience lo lockdown and social distancing. And if you would like to continue the conversation, please contact us through social media under the handle at Christ in Society or via our website, christianityinsociety.org. Thanks. <laughs>